Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. Uh, What you're about to hear is one of the messages from our current sermon series called The Weight of Paper. Uh, We don't do this very often, but it's a series about money. And we have set out in this series about money to not tell you that you need to give more to the church or to tell you how to budget or how to get out of debt and build wealth for your future legacy and that sort of thing. Uh, There are plenty of places you can find that information. What we're trying to do is... Uh, talk about spiritual observations regarding money, uh, mostly from like the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Um, The reality is that money carries a weight in our lives. Uh, It is a concrete thing that we have a certain amount of, and we have to live with what we have uh, to a large extent. And so there's there's a weight, there's a heaviness that comes with that. Uh, But on the flip side of that is sort of the the idea that most of us would say deep down, we know that money is not the most important thing. It's not as important as relationships and family. It's not as important as being a person of honesty and integrity. It's not as important as our faith. Uh, And so striking that balance between um, holding on to money and our ideas about money tightly enough that we're in control of uh, what's happening with our money, but not so tightly uh, that it begins to take control of us. Uh, So that being said, that being rambled, uh, here we go with this message from The Weight of Paper. Good morning. Yeah, I'm very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, where we're all about a better you and a better world. We are in week three of our series that we're calling The Weight of Paper. And what we're not doing is talking about how to do a better budget. What we're not doing is talking about step, step-by-step advice about how to better manage your money. What we are doing is that we're looking at some of the ancient wisdom found within the wisdom literature of the scriptures, and then trying to see if there's something within that that we can learn about how we relate to money. So in week one, we talked about the story and the numbers and the flow. That's, re- that's like revealed to us in the graphic that's behind me. The elephant represents the weight of the numbers, the reality of like budgets, the black and whiteness that is the numbers that we deal with for our finances. And then you had the balloons, which represent the story, like the, the story that we live with, that we tell ourselves concerning the money. And then it's important to remember that these two things are always kind of connected. And so we don't want to get stuck on one side or the other. We want to kind of dance between the two. We also talked about this idea of the flow, which is this really weird kind of counterintuitive thing that the scripture talks about that seems to happen when it comes to our resources. And that is like by giving and being generous and holding this stuff loosely, we actually end up with more than if we cling to it. It's really weird. Then last week we talked about uh, money as like a teacher and money as a mirror. We talked about asking better questions when it comes to our finances. So like when we make a mistake, when we mishandle it, like rather than sensing that we are giant failures, we just go like, okay, what's the lesson here? This lesson costs me X amount of dollars, but hopefully as I move forward, this will be wisdom that I'm building, accumulating this base of wisdom that I can use as I go forward. Uh, We also talked about money as the mirror, which uh, is basically uh, money is always reflecting back to us. 
It's this external tangible thing that's uh, revealing something internally about how we think about money and the world and all this stuff. So it's really good for us to have our radar on as we like approach our, our finances. So this week, week three, we're going to be talking about kind of another weird, kind of paradoxical thought when it comes to money. Two things that seem to be opposed to one another and yet are very much true, okay? So it's your money and it's not your money, right? They, they both can't be true fully, but yet somehow they are. It's your money and it's not your money, okay? So let's begin with it's your money. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, <clears throat> the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's trading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So the Apostle Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's talking about elders and preachers and teachers and this sort of thing, and then he gives us two quotes from the scripture that he applies to the elders, teachers, and preachers, whatever. It comes from, first one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25, right? Deuteronomy chapter 25, there's this whole section uh, that's devoted to like the miscellaneous laws. This is to help the people learn how to live now that they're not slaves anymore. And so it seems a little bit random, but all these laws that are given in this place are designed to help them like figure out how to live together better. So like in, in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy, it talks about how like if you go into a neighbor's vineyard, you're, you are free to eat the grapes off the vine, like while you're there and while you're at the vine, but don't pick extra and put them into a basket to take with you. Right? Like, this is also a practice I don't recommend for publics. Like, don't, <clears throat> there'll, be a, there'll be a problem there. So that's one thing. Uh, it also talks about, like, not charging your fellow Israelites interest on anything you loan them. Uh, in chapter 24, it also talks about how you shouldn't kill parents because of the bad things their children did, to which we all said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would put a stop to the generational cycle real quick, wouldn't it? Um, or in chapter 25, again, it talks about how if there's two guys that are having a fight, then they're like really going at it or something. And, and then one of the women, one of the wives of one of the men who's in the fights gets involved if she inserts herself into the fight. And then if she like, like, you know, like in the sensitive areas in order to inflict pain, if she does that, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 says this. You shall cut off her hand. Show her no pity. Yeah, to which I, I, makes a lot of sense to me. I, I get that. No hitting below the belt, no grabbing below the belt. You've got to cut off her hand. That's very real-world practical advice for us to keep in mind. So in chapter 25, verse 4, we see the passage that Paul is quoting. It says this, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Which is exactly how Paul quoted it. I just wanted you to think it was going to be something different. So that's what he says. Here, yeah. He's directly quoting the Old Testament. Then the second part, which he says, the worker's deserving of his wages, this is him quoting Jesus. This comes from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Jesus is sending out the 72, and he says this line, like, the worker's deserving deserves his wages. So the idea, obviously, is that if you're doing work, then you deserve some sort of compensation, right? You've done the work, you get the money. The ox has earned or deserves the grain. The worker deserves her wages. That's your money. You have some sort of job, 
You show up, you do the work, you get paid. That's your money, and you've earned it. Now, here's the thing about your money that you've earned. I think this is important. You can do with your money what you want. You can do what you want with your money. It's yours, right? So, you want new shoes? Great, it's your money. You want to invest in a business? It's your money. You want to throw a party? It's your money. You want to make a tax-deductible gift to the church earmarked for Seth? It's your money. <laughs> you want a new toaster? It's your money. I'm trying to have a toaster reference in all four sermons. That's, we're three for three so far. Uh, it's your money. You can do with it what you want. There's a great line in Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. The women in here are probably more familiar with this section of the Bible than the men might be because it's called the wife of noble character, right? There's been all kinds of women's devotionals and retreats and conferences that have been based on this section, which is, which is fine. There's some really good stuff in there, but also, ladies, uh, can I say to you and just remind you that this was written at a time when women didn't really have any rights and where their main job was to, like, have babies and, like, cook the food, right? And, and so I feel like sometimes this might have been used in the past to, like, either unintentionally, there, there's been this, like, guilt maybe or shame placed on you because you can't or you struggle to live up to the standards of the godly <laughs> Woman, do you know what I'm saying? But, but there's some things in here that are fascinating that I want to point out. So first of all, the, the, the label, the title of the section gets labeled the, the wife of noble character. Um, and then the church imagery that usually comes with it, imagery, is like flowers and pink and perfection and very proper, that sort of thing, idealistic, right? This is the housewife of the 50s, the ideal, the noble character of, of a Christian woman. So that phrase, the wife of noble character, actually comes from two Hebrew words, which is ashet and kail. Ashet means uh, woman or wife. So it's not just uh, people who are married. It's women in general. It's not just for the young girl going through Bible class in middle school, and now this is the expectation that's been placed upon her. It's for all women. But then kail means strength, power, wealth, or might. Right? So maybe, maybe a better title for this would be like women of power or mighty women. These are women who are getting stuff done. Now, in light of that, watch what verse 16 says in Proverbs 31. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. So this lady is actually pretty hardcore. She's not helpless. Helpless. She's not the damsel in distress. She's taking charge. She is the woman of power and she's doing things with her money. Yeah, I'm going to buy that field and then I'm going to plant a vineyard. Well, you can't do that. You're a woman. Women can't own property. They can't run a business. And the mighty woman says, watch this. Watch what I'm about to do. It says, out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Why not? It's her money. She earned it. She can do what she wants, right? She, she has, does something, and she does something quite wise with her money because the vineyard is an investment. It's a purchase that's made now that will yield rewards, greater rewards in the future. So this isn't just a lady who's like sugar and spice and everything nice. This is a woman of, of power. This is leather and motorcycles and rock and roll, 
and she is making things happen and happen and get things done, right? Yeah, women of power. Now, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon lists a bunch of stuff that he did with his money. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I'm not sure when he says the delights of the man's heart, if he's talking about that specifically or like the rest of it, like all of it combined maybe, and we're not, we're not quite sure. Um, so Solomon, he, he did, he built, he constructed some pretty amazing things in his time. And this doesn't even include like the fact that he constructed this massive temple for himself. This doesn't include the temple, uh, uh, sorry, palace for himself, temple that he built for God, the chariot cities that he was, shouldn't have built, but he still did, right? All kinds of different uh, big time things that he did with his money. However, at the end for Solomon, like when he's kind of done doing all this, he says, of this passage, he said, it's all vapor and it didn't really make me happy anyways. But that's, that's like a different series we'll get into at some point. What we're talking about is how it's your money. You can do with it what you want. You want to plant a vineyard? Great. You want to buy a bunch of sheep? Great. You want to plant a garden? Buy a garden? Great. It's your money. So maybe for us, part of the lesson for us today is like we can come out from the weight of paper that is the judgment and guilt and shame that sometimes we carry about how it is we spend our money, right? You ever buy something and then immediately have somebody go like, you paid what for that? You spend your money on something and somebody's like, that, why'd you do that? How much did you spend? You thought that was a good idea? And we're not talking about like people who are close to you that, that love you and, and, and that you know they want the best for you, right? Like, if my wife comes to me and says, like, honey, I just don't think we have the money to do that right now, that's one thing. Or maybe you shouldn't have bought that because actually, like, the kids need food this week. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it fun, right? Like, we're not talking about people who are close to you or care about you. We're talking about, like, all the external critics, right? The people that seem to love uh, to, to voice their opinion about what you're doing with your money, also, I've noticed that we sometimes can be the critics, where we voice our opinions about how other people are spending their money. Why do you care so much about what I do with my money? It has nothing to do with you. It has literally nothing to do with you. Now, here's the interesting thing about money that I think is important to remember. Money has a subjective nature to it. There's a sub- subjective dimension to money. Most of the time when we buy things, right, it's, it's not like it has anything to do with right or wrong. They're just things. I needed a lampshade for the house. I got some fertilizer for the yard, a car wash, a bucket of worms, because that's what people are into, a toaster, right? Like, it's, it's okay. They're just things. They themselves are not right or wrong. You like the shirt. You like the shoes. So you bought it. We all have different opinions and different taste. Like, if you've ever gone to somebody's house... <clears throat> And you see all the stuff that they have, like how they've decorated their space, or you see like the things that they're very proudly putting on display, and you're like, huh, that was an interesting choice. Like they spent their money on that. You thought the, the chair that looks like a giant high heel was a good purchase, you know? Oh, you thought taxiderming your pet squirrel was 
a good investment of your, of your money? Look, that's what they wanted to do. It's their money. Why do you care? Leave them alone. Let them decorate their house how they want. It's, there's a subjective dimension to money. And so for us, certain things, certain things will seem like expensive. And there's no way I'm going to spend my money on that high heel chair. But other things, you're like, yeah, I could justify that. And you won't think twice about jumping a, like dumping a lot of cash on something entirely different over here. Like, I hate spending money on clothes. I don't like it. My wife, like, just shows up with stuff sometimes because she knows that I probably won't buy myself new clothes. I'll spend money on plants, though. <laughs> right? I'll spend money on books, though. Yeah. I'll spend money. And even with the plants, if I go to a nursery and I think the price is too high, I'll go, no, I'm probably not going to buy that because I know I could get a cutting from somewhere or buy somebody some, uh, on Facebook from someone and get it cheaper and then just grow up myself. Like, why would I spend the money here? Right? Or, or even right now, like, we got three kids. They're all in school. So there's, like, somebody's going on a field trip, like, every other week. And I keep having to flap out 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 50 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. I'm like, this is exhausting. Why, why do I keep having to pay for this? But yet I'll turn around and order four books on Amazon for 100 bucks and not even think twice about it. Doesn't bother me at all. Bothers my wife a little bit, but it doesn't bother me at all. Right? We all have different opinions. No, no matter what your budget is, no matter what the reality of your elephant is, no matter what the story that you're living with when it comes to money, there is a subject, subjective dimension to money, uh, to how we handle our money, that really has no like, pattern to it. Right? You, you might not want to spend the 30 bucks on a new belt, but then you may turn around and like, pay for you and your friends to have dinner. So you don't want to spend the 30 bucks on the belt, but you'll spend like a couple hundred bucks at a restaurant for that relationship in that time. We have different tastes. We have different opinions, different values. If we were all to, if I were to give all of you a million bucks and just say, go spend it, we would all do different things with that money, wouldn't we? Right? So we need to learn to make peace with this idea that money has a subjective nature to it. We should also keep this in mind when it comes to like, um, charities and causes, the nonprofits that we give to, right? All, all, all of which are good things, but there are endless groups and, and, and causes that you can support and give your money to. But the reality of the elephant, the numbers, prevents us from giving to everything. You can't give to everything. Should you give to something? Yes, absolutely. Scatter as freely as you can, but you can't give to everything. Right? So just because they think that you need to like, give money to help save the black rhino, which is currently on the endangered species list, that's the most important thing in the world, it doesn't mean that you have to. Maybe you want to give your money to like, support a couple kids in Haiti in a village to give them food and education. That's fine. Those are both great things. But God has given you a certain, certain passions and them certain passions. Follow that passion. Follow the heart. Right? <clears throat> they may think like supporting the arts and, and the school theaters and all this stuff in the school system is the most important thing. It's a great cause, but that might not be where your heart is. Maybe, maybe you're more inter interested in like giving to like our local firefighters or policemen or something that you think need help. Like, that's fine too. That's, that's great. Like, you don't have to do what they want you to do. That passion is their passion. It's okay for you to have your own passion. I see this in church world all the time. For some reason, we have this idea that if we're passionate about something, everybody else has to be passionate about the thing that we're passionate about, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so we all like, are like trying to convert each other to the thing that we're the most passionate about because it's the best, because it's the right thing, because it's probably the best thing, and that should be at your top of your list. 
Right? Like, oh, no, we need to be doing more homeless ministry stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. We should be doing, like, we should be doing more, like, missions overseas type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we really need to be doing more in the school system. Oh, we need to be more equipping the saints. Oh, no, we need to bring back the puppet ministry of the 1970s. Like, I get it. Okay, it's your passion. Yeah, we've all got passions. That's okay. How about this? You follow your passion, I'll follow my passion, and then we'll all, like, work together better. It's kind of a brilliant system, actually. Right? The church can't do everything. We can't give to everything. They're all great things, but at the end of the day, it's your money. So you don't have to be the victim of somebody else's guilt trip. Don't feel like you have to live up to, to other people's obligations for what you're supposed to do with your money. And while we're here, if you find yourself being a person who is a bit critical of others... Or you, or, you, or you find yourself guilt-tripping others about the thing that you're the most passionate about. Stop. Stop doing that. They have the freedom and the agency to do what they want with their money. You have the freedom and the agency to do what you want with your money. Right? So, follow your heart, give to where your heart goes, and then move on with your life. So, it's your money, and it's not your money. Here's the paradox of it's not your money. No matter how much <clears throat> or how little you have, money has a temporary nature to it. It comes and it goes. You earn it, you spend it. It comes in, it goes out. We are just a temporary steward of the thing that we have been given. And even if you make like, even if you amass a great deal of wealth over your lifetime, that all is going to end up somewhere else anyways. Right? Uh, Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2, verse 18. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruits of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. Yeah. You you don't get to keep it forever. Psalms 49. For he sees that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Can't take it with you, right? Can't take it with you. No matter how much you have or how much you don't have, at some point, all of it will be out of your hands. You are just a temporary steward of it. Yes, you need to be a good steward of it, but we must never forget that our stewardship of of our finances is temporary. So the money is yours, and it's not yours. Also, beyond that, everything that we have, everything that exists, already belongs to God. So it already belongs to God, and you just get to use it for a little bit. Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Next one, Psalms 89, the heavens are yours, yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Next one, Psalms 50. This is God speaking. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not have told you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. And we can throw in a little splash of (coughs) Paul in the New Testament here. Everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. Praise the Lord forever. Amen.
Everything belongs to God. Everything has come from God. There's this continual understanding, not just within the wisdom literature, but within like the entirety of the Bible, that everything has come from God, which is to say that everything we have is a gift, which is to say that it wasn't yours to begin with and that you just get to be the steward. And your stewardship of this gift is temporary. It's yours, but it's a gift. Use it well. And it's not yours. So like, chill out a little bit. Just take it easy a little bit. You don't have to fret the way that you do. Chill out. This actually brings us back to the idea that we talked about in week one, which is this idea of the larger flow of things. <coughs> when it comes to our relationship with money, we should always keep in mind the larger flow of things. It flows to you, and then it flows from you. And you can either participate in it and with it, or you can step outside and away from it. The choice is, is ultimately yours. But what it seems like to me, what I seem to notice, is that the people who choose to participate with it and in it, they seem to have a great deal more freedom and joy when it comes to their life and to their money. They don't seem to be as burdened as much by the weight of paper in their lives because they understand how this thing works. They, they seem to understand the flow, that it comes and it goes. The money is theirs, it's not theirs. And because it's theirs, they're empowered to do with it what they want. And because they understand it's not theirs, they're free to hold it a bit loosely and pass it along. It's theirs, it's not theirs. They understand that the flow, <clears throat> the flow and the temporary nature of their stewardship to it. This is like the foundational understanding of, of the wisdom literature and how it speaks to how we should relate to money. Actually, if we go back to Proverbs 11, there's something really interesting in this passage that we haven't looked at yet. I, I want to look at it today real quick. <clears throat> so this was week one. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another holds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The interesting bit about this word, refreshed, refreshed, refreshes. <clears throat> in the Hebrew text, this comes from the word ravah. And ravah is an interesting word. It means to slake the thirst, to bathe, to make drunk, to fill, to soak, to water abundantly. All, these all, all this language is about more, isn't it? It's about excess. To make drunk, you've overdone it. To soak, you've drenched it. To bathe, you're like in the water. To water abundantly. So I find it fascinating that this whole thing when we're talking about this idea of flow and like stepping in this goodness and scattering widely and trusting that more will become to you, that it says the one who refreshes others will be refreshed. It literally has to do with some sort of flow of water. The one who scatters widely will increase all the more. The one who withholds will be lacking. The one who participates in the flow, who allows that which is not theirs to flow from them to others, because they are participating in the floor, flow, will have more flow towards them. Essentially, maybe we could think of it this way, like, we are valves. <laughs> I'll explain. We are valves. We're, we're valves. I realized this the other day because most mornings and evenings, I spend a good amount of time attempting to water my plants, right? <coughs> I've got all kinds of plants. I got plants everywhere. 
I'm always propagating them or getting more or giving some away, whatever. I'm always, always doing something, always trying to water. And, and around my house, like you know, everybody's house, we have these outside spigots, right? Except on my spigots, I don't just have like the one twisty knob with the one hose. I put the four uh, hose separator thing on all of my spigots, which means I have hoses going everywhere around my property. I've always going everywhere. I, I have some underground that I've buried, some that I just keep on top that I move around. I, I got one that wraps almost the entire way around my house. A guy, there was a nursery that was going out of business and I went to talk to him and he just gave it to me and so I just used that. Like, it's awesome, I love it. Now, when it comes to my hoses and my spigots, um, I, don't, I don't have like the fancy automated system you know, like some of you do where you got the nicest zones and then you, you know, you set the timer and you forget it and you go on with your life. <clears throat> I'm 100% manual, right? I'm doing all this by hand because I'm always planting. I'm always expanding. I'm always like moving things to new places and trying things out. So I need to be a bit more mobile. So I go out in the morning and I go out in the evening and, 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 and I water different things. Sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. I try to spread the, the love of the water equally around my yard. But, but what I do is, that spigot coming out of my house, that spigot is always open. It's always on. And then it's got the four-prong adapter next to that, and it's got these little valves. And so when I want to water different areas, I just kind of like crank over that, open that valve a little bit to whichever sprinkler or watering system I want to use, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, I, don't, I don't use like the little, like little in-ground water uh, sprinklers. I use something like this. Like I, I, I go for like the big guy. I go for the, the three foot tall metal sprinkler. You know what I'm saying? Like this thing, I think it gets, has like a 50 foot radius or something. And like it just, like it does really well. And I kind of love it because it covers so much ground because I got so much space and it's so much space and I got so many plants. and. We need a lot of water, especially right now. It hasn't rained forever. Like we just so at my house, the water is always flowing to the spigot, and the spigot is always open. The spigot is always open, but it's not until I turn the little lever that the water will make its way to the sprinkler, and then make the water into the yard, and. I can control the amount of water that brings nutrients and refreshes my yard by how much I close and open that valve. If I open it just a little bit, only a few plants around it are going to get some water. But if I open it all the way, I can let my three-foot-tall metal sprinkler head like, do the work and really put out a lot of water and a lot of resources to help all these things to flourish in my yard. Here's the other little thing about this. The spigot is always open. My ability to use the spigot is entirely determined upon how much I open that flow. But with something like this, I have a great deal of agency. I can put this wherever I want, and I do. Sometimes I put it here, and I get the vegetables, and I get the garden, and then sometimes I take it over here, around the back of the house, and I get the fruit trees that are back there, and then sometimes I take it over here, and I get the... the um, uh, the milkweed and the porterweed for the butterflies. Right? I have a great deal of agency with where and how I water my property. I can put the sprinkler wherever I want it. You see, the water is always flowing from the spigot, but the flourishing of my plants 
is directly related to whether or not I'm willing to open the valve. If I never open the valve, then what happens? The flow cannot continue. And if the flow does not continue, what happens to my plants? They all shrivel up and die. We are the valves. We are the valves, and God is the source that is continually sending this flow of water to the spigot. And the more we open it up, the more that resources will flow through us, the more that, that will, we will continue to pass that along, the more that we will be able to help those around us flourish as well. And when it comes to this idea of it's yours and it's not yours of money, it's yours. So you can move this around to wherever you want. You can make the different areas of your life or the people in your life flourish by where you place your resources. Yeah, I get to determine where this goes. And I get to determine about how much I will be used, but based on the amount that I will open the valve to let it all flow through me. If we can, like, understand, if we could really come to understand money through this idea and the lens of a larger flow and understand that it's yours and it's not yours, it really should help to alleviate some of the weight of paper that so many of us live under. Because what this understanding allows us to do is that it allows, it gives us the freedom to, to be empowered to do what we want with what we have. And it gives us the freedom to loosen our grip on what we have and see that everything that we have is a gift that we have received and we're just the ones lucky enough to be able to pass it along wherever we want. Yeah. Now, one more thing about this and then we'll wrap up because I know... Sometimes when we hear this stuff, maybe you've grown up in church, you've been hearing this for a long time, like cheerful giver, give freely, all this stuff, but then we go, yeah, but does that include like all of our finances or is that like, can we just, can we just base that on time? Like if I'm just generous with my time, I can scatter my, like, it's like the, the entirety of life, right? Like it's, it seems easier uh, said than done, but I also know that we live in a world where, like in a culture where this idea of scattering freely doesn't make a lot of sense. I also know that most of us work really hard for what we earn. We work really hard for the money that we do have. So much of our economic systems are built around this idea of, I earned it, I did it, it's mine. Yeah, great. Right? There's a couple people I know that, that do have like an incredible amount of money, and, and I'm like happy for them because there are people who like have, have worked for it. They've done the hard work. They, they didn't grow up in a rich family. They weren't given just a bunch of stuff. These are people who created their own business, who, who went a particular direction, who've put in the time, who've put in the effort, and now they have a whole lot. And like, that's great. You did a great job. You worked really hard for that. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. But I also know that in economic, um, economic systems that are primarily based around the idea of I earned it or it's mine, there can also be a good bit of lack when it comes to like offering grace and mercy to those who haven't been as fortunate, right? Because this is mine, I earned it, I, I was on my own, you were on your own, so obviously you didn't work as hard as I did, so why should I take my hard-earned resources and give them to you for not working as hard? This is like the root topic of what causes so much like tension and stuff when it comes to government and politics and who we vote for and what political party we seem to side with and how we vote for bills, right? Like this discussion is a big discussion when it comes to how we actually live our lives. But let me show you something 
from the book of Deuteronomy, a great little line. God is talking to the people, um, and he's kind of giving them this warning. He's brought them out of Egypt, and he's like, hey, I've done all this stuff for you in Egypt. So it's, it's actually titled, Do Not Forget the Lord. So it says this. So this is the setup to the thing I really want to get to. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build the fine houses and settle down, and when, you, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If we skip down to verse 17, it says this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you, to your ancestors as it is today. So God is telling his people like, hey, listen, once you guys get into the promised land, and you get going a little bit, and you get a bit settled, and you start to like build this new nation, you start building homes and businesses and increasing your wealth, you may be tempted to go... Look at what I did. I did this. I earned this. By the sweat of my brow, I've worked for everything I have. God says, remember, it's the Lord your God who even gives you the ability to produce that wealth. So when you find yourself saying, like, it's mine, I earned this, this belongs to me, I think it's important that we remember that even our ability to earn it is a gift. This is like the universal truth at the heart of the wisdom literature here. Sure, you worked hard. Absolutely. No one's taking that from you. Sure, you earned it. Absolutely. No one's taking that from you. But even your ability to work hard enough to earn it is a gift. And then, not only that, but if you ever find yourself saying or thinking like, <clears throat> I earned this. Why should I give what I earned to them? They haven't earned this. Or they just don't want to work, or there's plenty of jobs out there, why is that on me? We might do well to remember like all of this, everything that we have is a gift. It's yours and it's not yours. And even the ability to earn what you call yours that is temporary is a gift. So if we're going to take this ancient wisdom scripture seriously, it empowers us to accept that, yes, it is yours. You earned it. Good job. And it's all a gift. And this should allow us to understand that whatever has been passed to us, that maybe we should be the ones that are passing it along to those who are more vulnerable or who haven't had the kind of opportunities that we have had. The money you have is yours, and it's not yours. And what we're trying to do is learn to live within this larger flow that understands it comes and it goes. We take it seriously and we should hold it loosely. We should be wise with it, how we use it, but also we should scatter it freely. And we're trying to keep all of this together and mindful in front of us all at the same time. Right? It may seem a bit tricky. It may seem a bit uncomfortable. It may seem a bit backwards. But what the wisdom scripture, ancient wisdom points us to is that this is actually where the freedom is. 
This may be the very thing that allows us to come out from under the tremendous weight of paper that so many people are living under. This paradoxical way to understand and relate to our money, this is where the freedom is. Thank you once again for spending some time with us this week. We hope that that message was challenging in some good ways and inspiring in some good ways and hopeful in some good ways. And uh, we hope that um, that God is doing something in your heart, maybe in your mind, perhaps, uh, to help you find that balance between uh, the concrete realities of money in our lives and sort of the the more ethereal, like spiritual observations and uh, the way that we approach it, the way we view it, and the value that we give it in our in our deepest, like inmost self. Um, you can find out more about what we're doing here at the Foundry Church either by going to our website, that's www.thefoundryc.org, or you can check out our app if you go to your app store on iPhone or Android uh, and search for Church Center. You'll find the app. Once you open it up, you'll be able to find our church within the app, and then that's like your gateway to everything that's happening at our church in terms of information and things you can be involved with and things you can participate in. Uh, in various ways. Uh, For now, that will do it for the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, Thank you once again for spending some time with us this week. We'll see you next time.